Hello, friends. Welcome once again to the Deeper Daily Podcast. I'm Paul White. It's the second day of February, and it is our second podcast from the 24th chapter of Genesis. It will also be our final look at this lengthy chapter. It's, this is the chapter in which Abraham's servant travels back to Abraham's homeland to take a bride for Isaac. We talked yesterday about the details of the chapter and also ended the podcast by showing you that it is an allegory, or at least can be. Um, I don't mean it didn't happen, but that it is an allegory for a bigger story, and that is that Christ meets us. Jesus takes for himself a Gentile bride. The Holy Spirit in this story is being played by the servant, Eleazar, or by the gospel, you could say, or the gospel rather is being played by the servant, who goes out, presents the message, and then Rebecca must agree. We talked about how it seems to be an advancement to have the woman play such an important role in the choice. We don't see that up to this point. Man marries a woman and it seems to be like he marries whoever he wants or she doesn't have much to say, but you're seeing the theology rounding out a little bit in that Rebecca has to approve. And I think that's speaking to a bigger allegory, a bigger story, and that is that we are chosen by him, but we reciprocate by choosing him. So we, it's, it's elect that we be received, but we, it's not elect that we receive him. I mean, we don't have to receive him. We don't have to say yes to him. Um, in fact, it's, it's that phrase election pops up in Romans 9 when Paul mentions Rebecca. In Romans 9, when Rebecca had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. We're talking about Jacob and Esau, and that there was a plan by God in the birth of Jacob and Esau coming from Rebekah. Um, that's where the election goes through the, the doctrine of the Apostle Paul. But I think there's a miniature of that doctrine in Rebekah's being chosen to be the bride of Isaac in that they choose, the he's prayed her in, but she still must choose. She's given the option. She does choose to go back and to marry Isaac, and her and her maids arise. I'm in verse 61. And they rode on camels and followed the man, so the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now look at this verse, these next couple verses. Isaac came from the way of Beer Lahai Roy, for he dwelt in the south, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. And then they have this sort of poignant romantic moment where she lifts her eyes, and they their eyes meet, and they instantly fall in love. It's sort of a love at first sight kind of thing. Where I want to focus is in that 63rd verse where Isaac goes out to meditate in the field in the evening. What does meditate look like? The interesting thing about the word that is used in Genesis 24, 63, that Isaac went out to meditate, is that it is a unique word in the Hebrew literature. The, the word meditate pops up throughout the Old Testament nearly 30 times, but only once is it derived from this particular Hebrew word. Most of the other times, 
It's derived from a Hebrew word that means to mutter or to talk, to mumble. Um, in other words, in most of the other cases, and let me show you one of those, the, one of the most famous of those cases is Joshua 1.8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And so God speaking to Joshua tells him to meditate. And the Hebrew word there is the one that's most often used. Mutter, speak this thing. Notice he doesn't say meditate on it day and night, but meditate in it day and night. So rehearse it. Read it aloud. Say its words until they become valuable to you. So when you see that Old Testament reference to meditate, it doesn't just mean sit and think, but to mutter over. Except in Genesis 24, 63, where it does mean to muse or to Uh, This is actually one of those definitions I'm not crazy about where you use the word in the definition, but to pensively meditate. That's to thoughtfully meditate. And so most of the time, we are encouraged to mutter the word over, to say it aloud, to rehearse it. But at least here, we are given the value of going out into the field and musing Because there is something to be said for alone. You don't want to live alone. You are not saved alone. You are saved within community and meant to be part of this body of Christ that's bigger than just the individual. But you are encouraged to steal away. Jesus did it. He found time. With that said... I don't think we ought to make it religious. Uh, How many of you came up with teachings on quiet time? That it was necessary that you find a quiet time every day with the Lord until it, it became so pushed and rehearsed that you got to where you dreaded quiet time. Well, there's probably a whole generation of believers that came up in the Western church world who have dreaded quiet time because they struggled to stay awake or they struggled to come up with something to think on. So I don't, don't make it religious to where it's a dread. But know that there is value to go muse, to go think it over. In fact, i found that some of the greatest revelations I've received about where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do haven't come out of repetitive recitation of prayer but have come out of the musing. Isaac went out to meditate in the field. Maybe we should too. Hope you have a great day. More tomorrow. See you then. God bless.